This is Annette Abena and welcome to Diaspora Talks. Diaspora Talks is a podcast connecting Africa's fastest growing businesses with the diaspora. Who are Africa's most exciting businesses? Who are the entrepreneurs behind the brands? Where are the opportunities for us to invest? I started this podcast to bridge the gap between the diaspora and Africa by telling the stories of African founders globally. You can hear these stories on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and all other major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. On this episode, I'm joined by Chibozo, founder of AfriClaim. For over two years, AfriClaim has been dedicated to ensuring air passenger rights are protected in the airline industry all across Africa. In 2017, Chibozo and his co-founder set out on a mission to combat the unfair treatment of airline passengers by enforcing and enhancing their rights as consumers. AfriClaim has so far helped thousands of passengers across the continent and secured millions of naira in flight delay compensation. So welcome, Chibozo. Thank you very much, uh, Annette, for having me on today. Good. Um, where are you at right now? Um, so I'm currently in Lagos. Uh, okay. Kind of. Um, so actually, I was meant to be back in London uh, sometime last month. But then once okay. the whole like uh, lockdown restrictions happened, flights got cancelled. Uh, yeah, I just had yeah. to stay here. So like uh, family, uh, my siblings, my parents, everyone's like over here. So it's just mm-hmm. pretty much better, you know, just to be closer because... The whole world is on like a slowdown for now, so there's right. not really Maybe much anyone can do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. No, I can definitely relate to that. In fact, I'm actually meant to be in Ghana right now, so my flight also was cancelled. Um, but <laughs> how is lockdown treating you in Lagos? Um, it's it, it like. Okay, so basically, personally, I kind of like spend more time indoors, except when I need to be out. So it's like almost like there's nothing much really new. But then it's just like it sucks uh, because like you can't like really um, carry out business like normal. So um, we uh, spent the whole of uh, this last week really inducting our new employees. Uh, so we had to do that virtually. So that comes with like kind of like its challenges as well too, yeah. because like a, a huge part of like the induction process is like getting them like excited, getting them uh, to like, you know, communicate with each other and like just really have fun. So once you try and like just do that virtually, it's uh, it's more challenging, but it's possible because like these days there's like every in every technological infrastructure to make life much easier so the lockdown yeah. is um it's i i guess it is what it is but it's just uh accepting that like this is what's going on now and trying to live in the present rather than being anxious or worrying about what the future holds for um business for individual growth and all so um uh i'll i'll just uh say yeah i'm just leaving it taking every day a step at a time yeah no definitely definitely well we will get into more how um i guess covid is impacting you and your industry a little later on um but yeah thanks for sharing um 
before we get into it, um, I guess before we get into the questions about your business um, and yourself and your story, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, obviously, you're in Lagos right now. You are Nigerian. Um, I wanted to ask this question just to get some insight into, I guess, what is important to you and what your values are and also give our audience some insight into some of the challenges that you face day to day. Um, so the question is, if you had a magic wand, what is one thing you would change about your home country, Nigeria, and why? So just one thing. <laughs> Actually, a lot of things I'll change, but let me <laughs> let me try and just uh, think of one thing. Okay, that's a pretty tough yeah. one, but yeah. um, I, th- I guess one thing that like always comes up with conversations I have with people about just um, the future of Nigeria uh and like one thing like i really want to change is i think i wish for the like entire country to have the same culture all around so um we're like super diverse culturally and this to an extent can be beautiful but then it also comes with its numerous setbacks so in nigeria we speak about 520 different languages so that's like something everyone's like wow like awesome and all but like this undoubtedly affects our ability to work together and progress collectively because to move forward like as a nation and uh, as as a continent we need to be able to really move forward collectively so um because we're like so diverse and some cultures are actually really uh dissimilar from others it often causes uh tension between ethnic groups and like that just creates like different uh uh um regional differences so like everyone's it's almost like an every man for himself kind of in uh in most cases so like some people want their children to marry from like the same tribes as them and you know Mm -hmm. from like really uh strange stuff like that so i wish i really wish like we actually had like a single like language it doesn't have to be english could be any other language but just like we all like see ourselves as one because we always go on about like one nigeria one africa but then it's like do we really mean it it's just like okay for example now so i'm like uh talking to like an ethiopian we're meant to be one africa right but then we're like one until everyone starts speaking their like own language and like yeah identifying with like different uh things so yeah i think that's one thing i'll really change yeah no that's that's super interesting i've only recently come to really understand and to know nigeria's history um when i say nigeria i guess um from colonial it's colonial history and how nigeria actually came about so i'm aware of you know the civil war and the struggles um even after that so that's quite interesting. Um, and I guess, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of when there's unity, you know, there's strength. Um, yeah. And like I said, even after um, the the, colo- the peak of colonial times, there's been issues um, that have it, that is rooted from its division. So, yeah, OK, that's that's very interesting. That's good to know. So let's get into the questions more about yourself. Um, I introduced Africlaim, um, and um, of course, you are in the aviation industry. For my first question is, you you describe yourself as an avi geek. What does that actually mean? And how did that come to be? Because it is quite 
and niche <laughs> <laughs> um, enthusiasm, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's uh, Avgeek actually. So just A V then okay. Geek. So um, it's just pretty much a blend of aviation and Geek. So it's just like a millennial term for let me say hardcore fans of aviation. So fun fact, uh, growing up, I always wanted to be a pilot. Like okay. literally, always wanted to be a pilot. That was like the first, second, and third dream. First, second, and third life options and everything I had. Like I. I uh, loved everything that had to do with airplanes, airports, uh, pilots, everything. Um, so I was also like, I was always so fascinated with everything that had to do with aviation. So I used to like collect loads of model planes, um, stack up loads of uh, air travel uh, magazines, spend like m- all of my free time on flight simulators and everything in that space so that just i i never realized then but like i was like learning so much about um air transport air travel mm-hmm. the aviation sector uh and some like other really cool things there's so much learning i did as like as a child uh, in terms of aviation, because um, even moving on, so I recently just got a master's degree in air transport management. So I remember, like on mm-hmm. the first, uh, the first class we had, because I or the first class I had, because I resumed like slightly later, like a week later than everyone else. Um, the like uh, program directors were just asking us a couple of questions, like identify this plane from the tail or like with the wings or something, some wow. weird stuff. And I was like really just answering it so freely. And everyone was like, whoa, what's up with this guy? Like you just <laughs> you just you just literally walked into the yeah. class and like you're trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's like pretty much um what an Avgeek is. We have like a small community uh like uh with group chat or like uh instagram accounts where like we literally just share like aviation jokes or like <laughs> aviation interesting cool stories that yeah. people may not find so cool but yeah that's yeah. uh <laughs> that's <pretty laughs> much it. well i mean that is really cool and it seems kind of like you've always had a destiny to be in this industry and to do what you're doing which i guess leads me into my next question which is about you know that light bulb moment You've always been quite enthusiastic about this industry and had an interest. But what actually led you to coming up with the idea for AfriClaim? Um, because as I've described, um, many of my audience may actually be very familiar with, you know, this sort of service or provision, you know, that usually comes from insurance companies. And many people would have had had some some sort of protection like that. Um, but what actually, what actually led you to, you know, come up with the idea with Africlaim and also focus on the niche that you are focusing on, which of course is the African market. Okay. Um, very interesting question. I'll try to keep this as short as possible. Uh, <laughs> like I think on, on Monday, like in the first day of our induction period. So I had like a presentation about the Africlaim story so far. So like as expected i've said it so many times so you think like oh it's to get like shorter and shorter but like every time i start i just really get into the story and like really remember how it all started and it's always so interesting to me so um there 
the fun fact is there actually wasn't really any light bulb moment. So I wasn't even thinking, it took me a while to realize that, whoa, I'm actually doing something in the air travel space. I, I'll, I'll explain the story and then you kind of understand more of what okay. I mean. So um, this was in 2017. Uh, so my co-founder was coming back on a trip from uh, somewhere within the EU. So I don't like mentioning the airline or... Uh, okay. or country That's most right. times in <laughs> so it was coming from somewhere like within the eu to like back home to nigeria it was either like the christmas no the i think the easter break so mm-hmm. um his flight was like delayed for a ridiculous amount of time mm-hmm. uh like over like five hours and then uh we were talking because at that point i was in, in lagos for my i was doing my workplace my year so we're like talking over the phone while I was at the airport and everything. And uh, he eventually got on the flight, got back to uh, Lagos and everything went on as normal. But he tweeted something about the his flight being delayed. And then the next thing is like different like bot accounts were like uh, telling him like, yo, you could be entitled to flight delay compensation and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So he's like, obviously this looks like BS. And really ignored it because right. this was like in 2017. So in 2017, relatively speaking, like no one really knew. Only like a handful of people knew about um flight delay compensation. So yeah. um he ignored it on his own. But then one day we were like talking, and then he's like, he brings it up in a um conversation, and then we're like, uh, that to be honest, we have nothing to lose if we like you know if you like just uh check it out so my senior sister yeah my senior sister is a lawyer so i spoke to her about it and then we um kind of found that like there were actual regulations that like actually demanded the airlines to pay so we're like okay let's Mm. try this and see how it goes so we spent like over a month you know with back and forth with the airlines like at first we like we just tried it to see but then the process was like kind of taking longer and then you know when you get too invested to give up that like now you're like yeah i know i'm right and i know my rights i'm really going to get my money now and then kind of, <laughs> yeah. uh, long story short he eventually got his flight delay compensation i think this was about mm. 540 something um pounds wow. from the airline so wow. it was it was we're like whoa like it was like that kind of like moment like when you just like stumble upon like a really cool new show on netflix and you're like wow like this is incredible why hasn't anyone said anything about this and why is no one talking about this so obviously when you find a new show what you do the first thing you do is like you tell your friends and families like yo you guys go check this out so that's literally what we started doing so we're like so like excited about the prospect of getting compensated from flight delays because for years like the first instinct to like a flight delay or cancellation is just to complain and then the next instinct is to move on so um, a couple of people were like uh so you know nigerians can once like nigerians start seeing like regulations laws and like loads of like words on paper it just gets like yeah like take this out of my face so um right. some people like you know were sending us messages like <laughs> so some people were like um telling us okay 
please, uh, how do we do this? And then we explain and they're like, okay, you know what? Please just help us out. And then we like help the first person, help the second person. And then more people, you know, like this word of mouth. And then everyone's like, um, a couple of people are, you know, talking and trying to like uh, ask us for like the request. So uh, mm. it was taken since more people than we expected were like, you know, coming to us and like messaging us. Uh, it was taking longer to like message everyone individually and also we're like, okay, you know what? We might as well make a web page where like we just put all the information there, where we just like put all the regulations, laws, and everything anyone needs to know about um flight delay compensation. So we're like, mm-hmm. mm, let's uh try and like just think of something uh more African because at the end of the day, a lot of people that were like messaging us or like requesting help where like African passengers, like within right. Lagos most especially. So we're like, okay, we didn't really even think of a name. It just was like, yeah, Africa makes sense. Africa and claim. Let's just put that and then let's just make a quick logo. So I remember the first logo we had was kind of it was a really weird logo. It was like kind of like a hospital sign. I don't know why. It was just like a red cross <laughs> with a with a white background. So uh it was because the main purpose was just to make the web page. So so we added um, a second web page, an existing web page, which was a form that looked, we tried to model it to look very similar to the traditional style form, just to create something familiar and like the heads of people visiting yeah. the web page. So that was like the first claim now form we had where people could go and like just put in their like information without having to talk to um in this case two young boys because it just felt like they could yeah. trust that trust that more yeah so um we did that and then like people like you know kept on like submitting claims and all and it really just was going at that pace and like weren't really thinking anything about it until i think this was sometime in august or september 2017 um this lady uh, from one of the big newspapers around here, uh, Business Day, like messaged me on LinkedIn. They're like, "Oh, she's been seeing the work um Africlaim has been doing, or she mm-hmm. she she used the word my company has been doing, and like she wants to interview me and uh my co-founder." So. Mm-hmm. At that point, though, like <laughs> two problems. The first was like we didn't have a company, so that's why I was like she used the word the company. We didn't actually have like an official company. I weren't even seeing right, anything, okay. anything as a company. <laughs> and, like it was like we weren't even moving with structure. We're just really helping people out. So we're just like, okay, so like how do we make this make sense? So we really started like putting everything together we um try to kind of like legitimize everything a little bit um mainly just for like that interview because it was like a lot of um uh, press coverage and like so many people went to see if you're putting your mind something you might as well put your full mind to it so that's how we like really um started what's uh, interesting it was that interview that really drove you you I guess legitimize what you're doing because up until that point you would just saw it as supporting people and you know spreading awareness exactly exactly so we we really didn't know um how much people were talking about to us 
so like hearing from the uh from the journalist was like really interesting we're like oh wow like people really find this helpful like even uh like very often i get like random like uh emails like you know from people like super excited or like really grateful for like the um, like the services we're we're, like offering like it, it just really feels so good to like hear like that's from them like how they feel like it's like the airlines like kind of let them down but like we kind of give them like a reason to smile again so it feels like yeah. you're doing the lord work here or something so it's really nice so yeah so the the interview um really led us to like kind of start like cleaning everything start moving in the direction as a company because it made us realize two things that one eyes were on us and two we're actually having a really um positive impact on lives uh especially like air passengers so um i remember the the title was um africlaim redefining customer delivering nigerian's aviation sector and like when i saw it i was like whoa i didn't even know we're doing that much <laughs> but, <laughs> but we, we, yeah like we've been given the shoes so we might as well fill it now so yeah, um yeah. Yeah, in 2018, that's when we now uh, formally got registered as uh, an official company, a private limited company, and um, we started hiring, bringing people on board. So, like, there wasn't really a particular light bulb moment that we could, like, be like, mm-hmm. uh, yes, this is what we're going to do. We didn't start with a business plan. We actually started with a value offering and then everything yeah. kind of like came after so the second question you asked was like what i think you asked like what why did we choose africa so yeah um, yeah like you said at the beginning of the conversation like a couple of your friends maybe like familiar with this sort of services so like with uh within uh the european airspace and to an extent, the United States as well. A lot of people yeah. are aware of their rights in general, and then yeah. even furthermore, they are aware of their air passenger rights. And like it, the the knowledge keeps increasing, although it's still very very low, it's increasing. But then in Africa, it's like really 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 low. So like there was a, sometime last year in November, we um, went on like a mini field trip to really try and like get to know. Uh, potential customers to mm-hmm. see what people knew about air passenger rights and uh, what people did um, in 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 reaction to like whenever they were delayed or cancelled. So just a brief summary of the results. Like, um, yeah. uh, I think we, out of all the people we spoke to, just about one or two, let's say we spoke to over um, 25 people so just about one or two knew something about air passenger rights and like oh. they weren't even thinking flight delay compensation they were thinking air crash compensation so wow. it was it was that bizarre and like uh it, the response of like what do you do when your flight is cancelled or delayed the first response was like they were like kind of like what kind of stupid question are you asking me like <laughs> 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, obviously, yeah. obviously, what we're supposed to do, like either like I like get on another flight or like use another form of transportation or just leave it to God. I'll take it as um, <laughs> this is a sign from God that I wasn't meant to be flying today. Yeah. That like <laughs> like more than twice. So yeah, yeah, so that's why like we feel like there's more, there's more to. So we're not just following the. Um, market numbers per se or looking at the um, most promising markets that's not really what drives us we're really driven by like yeah. where we can have the most impact and uh, yeah. where we can really help people yeah no that makes a lot of sense you said quite a bit there that is it's so useful so um firstly I was going to ask you like what the problem you're solving is but I think it's pretty clear from what you've said and actually I've identified that as I guess twofold firstly that it's awareness actually informing people that they have rights and secondly it's the support so actually helping people go through that process of actually claiming back what's rightfully theirs and as you mentioned the the awareness is is significantly low in you know the market that you're serving and actually i'd actually want to make a point that even in the uk and the us is also quite low many of us don't even realize that we have that right and even if we do um the same problem applies that a lot of us can't even be bothered to go through the process to do so so i think yeah that that's quite significant and also i love the fact that you spoke about <laughs> you didn't even realize that you know you what you were doing was as significant um you know you started off actually just trying to add value um to the people that you were you know you were serving and then all the rest followed so it's not until you know you got that um news news reporter contacting you that you realize okay this this is this is let's legitimize this this is a business (laughs) there's a lesson there for um aspiring entrepreneurs or people that are starting business you know focus on your value Focus on how you actually your value proposition and the problem that you're solving, and I guess things will begin to fall in place. So I think that was that was really significant. So thanks for sharing that. Thank um, you very much. I guess the next thing I want to talk about um, is the C word. So I don't think we can have a conversation about travel or aviation without mentioning the global ap- pandemic that we're currently going through, which is COVID nineteen. Um, so it's clearly having a significant impact on the industry and will probably do so for some time. So I wanted to know what your thoughts on that was and what the impact has been on your business, Africlaim, and also your clients so far. Okay, yeah, um, I guess that's one conversation no one can really avoid. If you turn yeah. on the TV, like the first thing you see are the numbers rising and all. So it's mm-hmm. it's really the reality we live in right now. So right. um, I'll just before I get direct into your question on the impact on Africa, I'll just um, give like an overview on what um, the whole COVID nineteen pandemic means for the aviation industry in general. So yeah. um, this is like. Definitely, at this point, the worst year in aviation history. So uh, from the start, like uh, IATA, which is the International Air Transportation Association, has been like projecting significant losses in revenue from the airlines. And like with every day, the pandemic lasts, it keeps growing up and up and up. So like as of now, the most recent projected airline revenue loss is 314 billion 
dollars wow. due to the crisis. And like, if if we're still in the same spot uh, this time next month, you can believe that number will double. And like, it to mm. keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. So it's a really bad time. So a lot of airlines are really struggling to survive. Um, there are cases like British Airways where, like, I think they're reportedly caught in about 12,000 jobs, which is mm. a lot because when you say 12,000, you're just thinking about the numbers, but there's, there's like 12,000 families are going to have one member lose yeah. their jobs mm. and it's really crazy. And then uh, Virgin Australia as well, I think that's the most recent case of an airline that's really been hit significantly. They just announced they were going into... Um, voluntary administration yesterday Mm -hmm. which shows like they're having like a lot of problems in terms of cash flows liquidity and all and then so on and so forth they're like so many there's no airline right now that's finding it easy because there's no airline that's really flying normally so it's a it's a really 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 crazy time it's really uh it's really unexpected no one really planned for this um uh we thought uh that the worst that could possibly happen to aviation was like a scenario like nine uh, eleven or like a financial right. crisis. So like even when you're uh, creating your contingency plans, you create around those kind of like impacts. But like thinking about a day where um, there'll be like a total travel ban or like you walk into like the airport and like everywhere is empty, even if the airport is open or like the, planes or the aisles are like empty like no one really saw that coming so um yeah so there's more loads of like airlines could uh, collapse after this period if the pandemic lasts any longer so like uh most airlines are like hoping for like government bailouts or other like um really primarily government bailouts because that'll be the most helpful way out in situations such as this so um there's been a really significant drop in uh air travel demand and traffic so in the last 30 days alone there have been about uh 302,000 global cancellations and about 42,000 global delays and this is a significant increase from the previous um 30 days uh before that so um air travel in the nearest future will be significantly impacted because we wow. are not too sure which airlines will still be there, which of our favorite airlines will still be there when this whole uh, period is over. So um, a lot of things will change, especially, most especially in terms of hygiene. So that sounds mm. good, but that could result in oh. like longer waiting times at the airports yeah. because like security became a huge issue after 9-11 and like one of the like most horrible airport experiences is having to wait in like the security line so like imagine having to wait in the security line then having to do like a hygiene test or like maybe a so true yeah so it's it's like everyone's like yeah we want like you know better hygiene after this but like that means like longer wait times and that means more flight Mm -hmm. delays because now there'll be like would uh, the airlines would need more time to move people from the uh from the check-in terminals to like the gate so there are like still a lot of like impacts that were like we're still yet to realize because uh 
everything is there's still a high amount of uncertainty we still don't know the future we don't know what's going to happen next month we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow so um so yeah that's really going to um change but on the good side um i think in the post uh, covid era um airlines will possibly offer a larger number of uh, routes and then they'll also they'll possibly be a drop in ticket prices so this will just be simple um recovery measures to kind of allow um the airlines mitigate their losses so they will just try and get people flying as much as possible so that's just an overview of what the aviation industry is going through right now um but in terms of africlaim so uh yes we're directly impacted by the aviation industry but then the good thing is we're also directly impacted by the legal industry as well too so um thankfully the whole covid pandemic really hasn't affected the laws the laws haven't changed the laws are still the same before and will still be the same after so um uh, what that means for our clients is like they are still eligible for claims. So, um, yes, no one is flying now, but that doesn't really matter because people can claim as far back as six years ago. Right. So they can claim past flights. So if um, they were delayed last year, that's still very much eligible now, even if the airline is not flying. So the law will always still be backing us, backing them. But then the problem now is the... Um, cash uh the financial status of the individual airlines so can they pay now will they even want to pay now and like so it's just like yes they will still pay eventually but what this means for like our clients is just longer waiting times so if you had to wait um a month before it'll probably take a little bit longer for the airline to be able to bring out that money so the good thing is airlines already make um provisions for compensation so on once the ec261 regulation was put into place um a lot of airlines started adding compensation uh um compensation uh like they started adding a a, a, like a price to the tickets to cover for like the chances of an eventual case yeah where they have to so they ha- they have like the money to do that, so it just really means longer waiting times. Uh, so what we're mm-hmm. doing right now is we're focusing on getting people to like in in a bit to like kill time while they are home. Like just you could look for like you know past cases yeah. where you've been involved mm-hmm. in a flight delay or cancel. Like look for your itinerary and like get the information according according to us. And, like you can hold that information because once the airlines are paying out, you still get your money because the law is still going to be the same. So, yeah. yeah do you know as i'm sitting here i'm thinking i've actually got some flights that i need to claim on so <laughs> this is some yeah. serious terms like, i hope people are listening to this and, and thinking about it because basically this is free advice and um yeah i think yeah. there's so many of us when you said six years i was like oh okay i could really make a claim here <laughs> um but yeah, yeah no this, these are all re- this is all really insightful and one question i wanted to ask because you spoke earlier about um the potential for some airlines going bust um, or or potentially getting bailouts from the government. So in that scenario, will they still be, um, will they still be uh, subject to paying out compensation? Um, so currently um, 
so for cancellations and delays going on right now, um, that's, this is if I'm getting your question correctly. So uh, airlines are not really um, liable, like they're not responsible to pay out because the whole COVID-19 was really out of their control. But then mm-hmm. in cases before the um, COVID-19, they're like... Mm-hmm. Uh, of, that had to do with delays that like the airlines could control like technical faults yes they're still required right. by the law to pay yeah and that's even if even if they go bust um okay so if they go bust that's tricky so if they go go bust right. um, it's okay. like unfortunately there's like no compensation there right. um okay. so i think if you remember with the thomas cook um episode yes. where yeah. like you know they went bust like some people were stranded abroad and like it was really messy but like it's just like you can't hold the airline liable because the airline really doesn't exist anymore so that's why like the government the government will really try to intervene to make sure airlines don't go bust because they set this customer protection laws in order to protect the people the passengers so it's in their best interest to kind of like keep the airlines afloat for their economy for the passenger welfare and all so um i i believe like uh this is really a time where like the government will really step in and help the businesses that really help the economy yeah yeah and we're seeing that we're seeing that um right now yeah no that's that's all really insightful stuff so thank you um what i really wanted to get into is going back to the africa focus now um so of course you are familiar with you know the travel industry um and i really wanted to talk about intra-africa travel so essentially um africans traveling to other african countries um and as we both know it's notoriously difficult even for those who can afford it um because essentially there's so much bureaucracy and even currently now most Africans need visas to travel within Africa and also face really expensive flights. And there has been efforts um, from the government to try and ease travel restrictions within Africa, um, especially through the Continental yeah. Free Trade Agreement. Um, but it's, it still yeah. remains really difficult. Um, so I guess what I wanted to ask you is, you know, what challenges have you observed from some of your customers um, that when that they have faced when traveling within the continent and where do you see the future of africa travel and actually before you answer that i wanted to um highlight i guess the significance of intra-africa travel and and its importance which is basically that you know africa african economies need to diversify and you know the tourism industry is a really good way to do that you know and expanding the tourism industry essentially um means that you know we can expand our economies um, generate more income and also um, ease reliance on you know eastern on ease reliance on western and eastern powers once we can expand in that way so yeah so what, what what's your thoughts on that and what has been the experience of your some of your customers okay thank you very much for that question it's really really interesting you asked because like as an avgic obviously i've been doing some independent like research into mm. um this uh the concept of a single african air transport market so just to give like the listeners some context on what you just said about like um the flights being expensive and like the impact on the tourism sector so um a five-hour non-stop flight from nairobi to dubai 
this is just using a random example. It's pretty much the same elsewhere. So from Nairobi to Dubai cost about three hundred and sixty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. So this was in twenty seventeen. So a, a four-hour, forty-minute non-stop flight from Naomi to um from Nairobi to um Johannesburg, which is within Africa, will cost you a minimum of eight hundred and fifteen US wow. dollars. So wow. see you're leaving, you're going from Nairobi to Dubai, 365, you're going from uh, Nairobi to Johannesburg, 815. So why is this? This mm. is just simply because of the, like you said, the travel restrictions we have within Africa. So, you, you know, like it's uh, like how I started at the beginning of the podcast, like one Africa, one Africa, one Africa, but yeah, like we yeah. still have. <laughs> we still have like strong travel restrictions within um each uh within each other so um it's the the problem really uh has to do it's tied with the way the government in different like uh, member states view aviation so they don't really see the value of av- aviation they don't really see um mm-hmm. aviation as being critical to um economic growth um, general development and intra-African trade and tourism, they pretty much see it as a path to achieving certain um, commercial objectives. And that is a very wrong way to look at aviation. It's a path to growth. It's a path to connectivity. And it's, it's, it's triggers um, catalytic if, effect on other industries within the country. So, um, in 2017, Africa had about um, 76 million annual air tra- travelers. And according to IATA, by 2035, there should be like an extra 192 million passengers a year. Okay. So um, when like the government officials like see this number, they really see, okay, yes, there's like an extra to amount. They don't see like, okay, how do we like, translate this increase in passenger growth into um tourism how do we translate it into like sustaining other um other like uh industries other sectors and also um with a high growth forecast like this it's really evident that like there's a strong case for like uh a concept of like open skies in africa so um I think there was there was there was an attempt in 1988 to adopt a single African air transport policy. So I think it was called the Yamasukro Declaration or something like that. So um okay. the reason why that fell apart was only about 23 of 55 member states that were mm. or that were in Africa at that time agreed to it. So some of their reasons were like uh, they felt the unfair there was unfair competition um competition uh mm-hmm. because of the re- there was also the restriction of free movement so you know people still need visas still today to yeah. go from nigeria to ghana to nigeria to togo like you still need visas to just go next door so because of the restrictions of free movement they're like yeah this is not even really possible so there were a lack of uniform charges and taxes you know we don't use the same currency all around the eu have like a strong single aviation sky policy but you know in most part like the currency is pretty much at a standard rate all around 
But like yeah. here is like the rand is has like a completely different valuation to the naira, so it's hard to keep mm-hmm. charge, um, keep track on the charges and taxes. So there was there was also the argument for, um, uh, unfair financial gain. So just to sum it up, there was just a general distrust amongst yeah. uh, um parties so once the restrictions are sorted out it's kind of like once people start flying if it's like um if it's about 50 uh or let me say 150 dollars to go from nairobi to johannesburg there's nothing stopping me from traveling to johannesburg for the weekend there's nothing stopping the average traveler from just going on a flight i mean it's just next door you can afford it and then this will create a domino effect because now the ticket prices are reduced, so it's allow more people afford travel. And then once this happens, once people visit foreign countries, who are they going to stay with? Not their foreign families, because they don't have foreign families. They're going to stay yeah. at hotels. They're going to stay at like Airbnbs. They're going to spend at restaurants. They're going to spend visiting the zoo. They're going to like look at this or go on like safaris or whatever. And then you see the tourism sector starts to grow. And once the tourism mm-hmm. se- sector starts to grow, we get like people coming in from outside the continent, putting money into our economy, people in the tourism um, sector start spending on other areas. They buy cars, they buy houses, the real estate benefits, the car industry benefits. So you see where like I'm of the argument that air transport comes. Yeah. So it's overall will add to like a significant increase in the continent um, GDP. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm just, I'm loving this conversation because I'm learning so much, which I absolutely love. And I'm, I, I'm sure um, my audience will think the same. Um, you've, the way you've explained it so clearly, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and hopefully this is something that we can see in the future, especially after, you know, um, the uh, Continental Free Trade Agreement um, hopefully comes into place. Um, but just to round off then, I wanted to end on, you know, a more positive and motivating um, note. Um, I wanted to ask you, as somebody who has, of course, started your business um, as a Nigerian, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs, particularly those of us in the diaspora, about launching Africa-focused businesses as you have? Um, because I don't know if, if we mentioned this earlier, but you did, um, you did, uh, I guess, come to school here in the UK. Um, and so I guess you would have had a choice to start your business here and and stay here, but you've done so in Nigeria. So I guess what, what advice would you give to people who are in similar, in, in similar shoes like yourself, who would like to do the same? Okay, um, before I go into answering that question, I, I just want to share like an interesting story. So remember the um, business they interviewed, the one that really set the whole African stuff going on. Um, so like I, yeah. prepared, like I had prepped for like the interview, like anything, any question, like you're ready to ask, like ask me, like I know everything about the compensation, I know everything about mm-hmm. our markets, I know everything. And then we get to the end of the um conversation like towards the end of the interview and then she's like what advice do you have for young entrepreneurs and i'm like oh my god one i've never been asked this question before like two this was (laughs) i i hadn't prepared for this so like i was like i can't remember what i said but i know for sure what i said didn't make sense because i panicked 
and uh, yeah, so that's just, yeah, but um, so there's so many, so many, so many. Um, I really love talking to people and like sharing my experience and like listening to their experiences as well and trying to like advise them um based on like my experiences and based on uh what I feel could benefit them but but then in terms of like experiences uh in terms of advice there's really no one size fits all because they're like different industries but from my personal experience I feel the most valuable thing to know is or to have is the ability to focus and to have like a strong sense of direction so right. um i decided to um follow africlaim full, fully and like wholeheartedly because i was focused on a goal i still am focused on the mission i'm still i'm focused on achieving the vision and i'm like moving at a certain direction so i really didn't see that decision to move based on um advice um i got from people like i mean i always take that into consideration or based on um the uh, or based on how profitable the market was looking but i just had like a focus so whatever your focus is whatever your direction is it's yours like that's the one thing in the world you're allowed to own so like you're allowed to move forward freely in that direction so it's very important to have those two just um focus and direction because it allows you block out the noise it allows you block out uh the rumble like in the background like initially starting like you know there was like you get like so many like so much advice from like friends and family and someone a wise person once told me like the worst people to take advice from are like your friends your very close friends and family because they're really interested in your comfort they never want to see you fail they never want to see right. you in danger so like if you take that information then you realize that people always go on about how life starts at the end of your comfort zone you realize mm. like yes take the advice because they want the best for you but like also you have to have your independent mind because at the end of the day once you commit to something for the larger part of that you're going to be the one that is going to be most involved in that then so like it's your decision and you're going to have to deal with the consequences at the end of the day so if, if it's something you're what you're willing to risk then go for it but then another side advice this i read in a book is the difference between yourself now and yourself in the next 5 years at the books you read and the people you meet so that's also one i find really interesting Hey, thanks for tuning in. Next week, I'll be speaking to my guest live from Kampala, Uganda. Stay tuned.